If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast. I welcome you to episode 39 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week I have with me my friend Nick. Nick, say what's up. What's up? Uh, We're going to be previewing the uh, UFC card going down in Denver, Colorado this weekend. And we are going to be recapping the UFC 230 pay-per-view that went down this past weekend in Madison Square Garden, New York City, New York. So uh, my man Nick with, is with me right now. Uh, I was going to the UFC 223 pay-per-view in Brooklyn uh, earlier this year, and uh, I was going alone. I made a post on Reddit. I said, hey, I'm going to this uh, this pay-per-view alone. Any chance any of you Redditors out there are going as well? To which Nick replied to me. He said, I'm going as well. I said, no shit. Let's see. Uh, I wonder if we're sitting anywhere near each other. I, I said, I'm sitting in in section 112 he said holy shit i'm in 112 too then we we moved this conversation to the private messages he said uh what what row and seat he said uh, i'm in row 18 seat 24 i said holy fucking shit dude i'm in row 18 seat 20 and you know two seats down and uh, we talked a little bit on reddit and then showed up to the pay-per-view a month later and, uh, you know, we introduced ourselves. So it was a pretty crazy interaction. Uh, you know, uh, you know, really lucky uh, that we linked up like that on Reddit. And uh, we also go to the same college in uh, Philadelphia. So uh, we've become uh, closer friends since then, seen each other at a few MMA events. And we're finally doing this episode of Martian MMA. So I'm excited to have Nick here. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to start things talking about the UFC 230 pay-per-view that went down. Uh, Nick, what did you think of this pay-per-view card? Did you get to watch all the fights? Yeah, I saw all of it. I missed the fight pass prelims, but I think it was a good card. Um, some of the people I was with are, were more casual fans, and they didn't like it as much. But I think it was a technical one for the most part, and it was uh, I drew it a lot. Yeah, um, unfortunately, that fight, pa- fight pass prelims, you missed them. There were some great, great fights on that. We had uh, Marcus Hojiro de Lima kick it off with a, a decision win over Adam Machorchak. Uh I predicted this one on my podcast last week. I was very high on Marcus uh, Hojiro. He was an underdog somehow in this fight, and it was probably one of the easier bets on this card. I saw almost everybody I know betting on uh, de Lima in this one, and that was a pretty easy play. So uh, really, uh, you know, a b- brutal fight, absolutely. Absolutely boring, terrible fight, but uh, you know, Delima won easily. So then we had Shane Burgos run through Kurt Hollabach. Kurt Hollabach rocked him with a punch pretty bad in this one, but somehow Shane Burgos threw up an armbar right away. That's a good one. 
Yeah, yeah, you saw the highlight was uh, that one went around uh, the the media. It was just a, a great, great uh, armbar. I mean, he was hurt bad, and you know, ten seconds later, he had the dude tapping out. So impressive win from Burgos. Uh, you, you know, his submission game is very underrated. And then uh, one of the fights of the night was uh, Matt Frivola and Lando Venata going to a draw. Just a, a crazy back and forth fight where both guys were dropping each other and getting in full mount, and they both had very, very. Um, uh, opportunistic moments in this fight, but they uh, ended up coming out a draw. Very good decision from the judges. Uh, I was grateful that uh, no guy came out the winner in that one because it was just too close to call. I wish there would be more uh, draws in uh, in the UFC. But moving on to the prelims, uh, we had Lyman Good uh, knockout Ben Saunders in this one. Just a brutal knockout in this one. You saw the the tie clinch that. Uh, you know, Ben Saunders is, is very good in the tie clinch, but uh, he was landing some brutal knees on, on Lyman Good. But Lyman Good said, fuck your knees, I'm going to throw some uppercuts and just absolutely mauled uh, Ben Saunders with those uppercuts. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, tough to see Ben Saunders, you know, keep keep losing in there and everything like that. Hopefully he can, you know, maybe uh, maybe go into an easier promotion, you know, get some special supplements into him or, or just retire after, you know, a 33-fight career. Uh, next fight, we also had another tremendous fight: Shaman Marias defeating Julio Arce somehow by split decision. I don't think it, I don't think that fight was too close. I think Shaman uh, won that one pretty decisively. Um, Shaman dropped Julio in the first round. He won the second round very comfortably. Maybe you know took the third round off a little bit. Julio might have came back and won that round, but uh, really impressive uh, underdog performance from Shaman Marias in that one. Yeah, that was interesting. A lot of there was a decent amount of back and forth, but I don't think I definitely don't think it was split decision worthy. Yeah, a lot, lot of blood in that one too. Uh, very <laughs> bloody fight. Um, you know, was, I think Rogan said it was like one of the bloodiest fights he's ever seen, but I don't, I don't think that was true. I think. Uh, I don't know. I I can't think of too many that were that were bloodier than that one. Yeah, yeah that was something. I love bloody fights. <laughs> um, next fight we have Sijara. Uh, Eubanks defeating Roxanne Modafari by decision. Sajara Eubanks coming in here, missing weight, and uh, she she beat Roxanne pretty comfortably though. You know, they fought before Sajara won comfortably before, and then she won again. So, kind of confusing matchmaking in this one, booking that rematch, but Sajara Eubanks is looking pretty good in there. Yeah, that one didn't make a lot of sense to me either. I knew that they had fought before. And uh, let's see, we have Jordan Rinaldi, another underdog play coming through. Uh, I didn't bet on him, but, you know, just another 2-1 to one underdog defeating Jason Knight by decision. Just a, a great wrestling performance by Rinaldi. Uh, Jason Knight was, you know, he's looked like a different fighter in the past couple of years. He, You know, I watched one of his uh, his fights the other day uh, against Chas Skelly, and he was... Uh, he was just throwing up all these submissions from his guard. His rubber guard was active. He was throwing up triangles, omoplatas, uh, gogoplatas, everything. Uh, and it, that's just not, he just doesn't have that ability anymore. You know, he was fighting a, a very good wrestler in Jordan Rinaldi, and uh, that um, that kind of halted his jiu-jitsu game. But Rinaldi just looking very, very impressive in there. I wasn't too familiar with either of these guys going into it, but I think I definitely am a Rinaldi fan after finishing that one out. I don't know. I think this is part of the ongoing wrestling versus jiu-jitsu debate here. Yeah, I mean, I th- uh, even though uh, you and I are both uh, both jiu-jitsu guys, I think that uh, I think that wrestling beats jiu-jitsu. Uh, I would say maybe seven or eight times out of ten, you have to you know ha- have a wicked you know guillotine coming in for a shot or have a you know. I mean, I, I think just rubber guard is, 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 is losing its effectiveness in MMA. I mean, we saw Ben Saunders. We just mentioned him. He fought. Um, 
Sergio Marias, and it was just you know if you love jujitsu, that was just a, a gift of a fight to watch because um, uh, Marais, or uh, Sergio Marias took Ben Saunders down. Ben Saunders put him in his rubber guard, mission control, but uh, Sergio Marias just pressure passed the shit out of him for ten minutes, passed his guard, and submitted him. So uh, unfortunately, I think uh, the Tenth Planet Gang is losing a little bit of its uh, credit in the in the UFC. I don't know if I mind that too much, honestly. <laughs> hey, man, I, I like I, I gotta support my my man Eddie Bravo no matter what. And I mean, he's his, you know, his best fighter is Tony Ferguson. There's there's no doubt there's no doubt that he's uh, an incredible incredible fighter. So um, that he's yeah. uh, he's still representing a little bit. That's true. But uh, you know, Eddie Bravo's other guys, you know, Ben Saunders, uh, Alan Joban, Jason Knight. Man, not not looking so good. Um, moving on to the main card, we had the Israel Adesanya show kicking it off with just an, an incredible performance against Derek Brunson. He stuffed, you know, seven takedowns in a row, was throwing knees, was throwing kicks, straight punches looked good, and he was hurting Derek Brunson with almost every single shot, and he eventually finished him off in the first round. Uh, did you think this one was going to end this way? I thought, I thought personally Israel was going to win a decision, but I was pretty shocked that Israel put him out that quickly. I, I don't think I was too shocked that as popular as Adesanya is getting now, I still think he's underrated. I, he's incredible, so I, I can't wait to see him go against some tougher opponents because, you know, I don't he's been challenged, but not, not as much as he could be, I think. Yeah, I mean he's he's slowly climbing the ranks of the UFC. I mean, I think I think the UFC is is doing him is doing treating him very well. You know, they're giving him uh, low level competition, then mid level, then you know pretty pretty high level, and then you know top ten. He's really working his way up through the ranks. They've they've thrown uh, prospects to the wolves way too soon, and you know potentially ruined their careers. And uh, they're not doing that with Israel. Luckily, uh, they're moving him up very very accordingly. Um, the next fight that uh, we had a pretty pretty boring fight, unfortunately. I was kind of questioning why this one was on the main card. I think the fact they the UFC might have put this one on the main card because you know uh, both of them are pretty heavy hitters. They assumed that one of them was you know just going to go down from a punch. Uh, I, I thought that was going to happen too. Uh, both you know Robertson is a very athletic, powerful striker, while Marshman is kind of a sloppy boxer. So I thought Robertson was going to go in there and get the knockout pretty easily, but this one lasted to the decision. Robertson look looking pretty good in there with his cardio, uh, but just not just very very little uh, memory of this fight honestly. Like I have no me- like memorable moments from it. Do you? I no. That's actually the first thing I was going to say about this fight was that it wasn't memorable. I'm surprised it went to decision. Um, Marshman looked like he was in trouble for a lot of that fight, and one of the biggest things to me is like this seems like something you put on a prelim to spice to spice it up. This doesn't seem like a main card fight to me. Yeah, I mean, we we know that this card was pretty stretched thin with injuries, and I think that they just... I mean, the UFC does crazy shit like this all the time. I mean, UFC 227, they had J.J. Aldrich fight Poliana Viana, like, right in the middle of the main card. Like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, it's just... They they put the second slot on the pay-per-view. It was just, like, a, a go-to for, for a... a, a, a very bad fight, unfortunately. So, uh, mo- uh, moving on, we had an, uh, an amazingly impressive performance by Jan- Jared Cannonier, scoring the knockout over David Branch in the second round. Cannonier was a three to one underdog coming into this one, coming in on short notice, dropping weight class. You know, just the cards were stacked against him in this one. But he came in there and took out Branch like very impressively, knocked him down with a punch and finished him off with some ground and pound. Pretty shocking. Uh, 
pretty shocking performance. You know, not only was he he a three to one underdog, I just I just didn't think that uh, he would be that much of a threat to Branch. But uh, we, you know, Jerry Cannonier is just improving uh, a lot fight by fight, and I really wish this guy the best. He's got some pretty good charisma, and uh, I, re- I just like his style. So um, you know, very impressive performance. Branch, I think, is definitely a bigger name. Cannoneer is, but after this, maybe that won't be the case. I I think this is one of those fights that may have been a little more boring for casual fans, but it was a good one. I think definitely for taking the the number three slot here, coming up to the end, it was a good fight. Yeah, and uh, I saw uh, the the first round was pretty close. You know, I saw uh, then after the round ended, I checked five times, and and Jared Cannoneer I think was like a two to one underdog. I mean, I thought the the first round was really close, and I um, and you know anytime the first round's close, uh, I would anything higher than two to one I think is uh, is a good bet. And I checked over to Bet DSI, and I saw Jared Cannoneer is over a four to one underdog, so I had to hit that. And I also was on the under in this fight, so both of those cashed. And uh, you know, I'm a I'm a very happy guy from Jer- Jer- Jared Kennanier. Didn't think you this would happen. You know, it shocked the hell out of me, but uh, came through big time. Uh, in the co-main event, we had an just an incredible war. I I think this is my pick for fight of the night. We had Ronaldo Jacare Souza defeat Chris Weidman by knockout in the third round. It was you know a very very competitive fight. It was mostly stand up, mostly boxing. Chris Weidman I think was winning this fight pretty comfortably. His hands were looking sharp after you know a uh, 16 month layoff. You know we've seen Jacare uh, this year. We've seen him get that knockout over Brunson. He's been active. We've seen that he's still got power in his hands. Hands. and his his chin's looking good too i mean we've seen we saw him get rocked by robert whitaker not too long ago no shame in that he's the champion now but he was eating some pretty big punches from weidman uh his cardio held up and he eventually landed that huge right hand that hit chris weidman like right on the temple it was you know a very oddly landed punch but it put weidman down and uh, what'd you think about this stoppage i think it was uh was dan mergliata this, if I remember correctly, was one of the late ones. Wasn't yeah, it was. So, like, uh, I know Jock was... Ray was like standing over Weidman, and he put his hand out. Oh, like, yeah. What, what do no, you... that, yeah, this stop. I remember this. Well, this didn't make this stoppage didn't make any sense. It definitely should have been stopped initially, especially like when somebody's just grabbing on like that. I think if the ref would have been closer, then you know Weidman would have been grabbing the ref's leg. It's it's just one of those moments. I don't I don't think he was paying attention. There was also another stoppage earlier in the card where Herb Dean wasn't even looking at the fighters. He was looking out of the octagon when it happened. I'm trying to remember which one that was, but there was a couple of late stoppages. I don't know what's up with Herb Dean, but I think he's starting to slip these days. Yeah, uh, no doubt. Uh, I mean, I have had this theory about MMA refs for a while is that they're in there for so long. They're, they're, you know, they're watching fights for 10, 15 years. They're that third man in the octagon uh, just watching people eat you know, massive blows, get choked out, knocked out, blood everywhere. You know, there's no doubt that you get a little numb to to some of this violence. You you build up a tolerance to, to violence because there are people, you know, there are referees, you know, it's their first main, it's their first UFC event. They're a regional ref and UFC goes to Iowa or something and they get in there and then the first time somebody gets dropped and they're going for a single leg and he stops the fight and he stops it prematurely, that's a guy who doesn't have much experience and he sees someone gets dropped. He's oh, I got to stop the fight. Herb Dean sees someone gets dropped and he goes, oh, well, I remember 
I remember a couple years ago this guy got dropped and he came back and won. Or I remember so-and-so got dropped and then came back and won. And, and then he gives them a little extra time to, to recover and gives them a little more wiggle room. But that's you can't be doing that as a ref, man. The dudes are eating massive, massive punches. This damn shame Chris Weidman. He's a, he's a, he's a, a very, very... Um, common guy to get late stoppages you know that luke rockhold fight where he just got his face you know punched into the canvas for about two minutes straight over the course of the third and the fourth round that fight could have been stopped a lot earlier so uh really really a brutal uh perform or you know brutal knockout for Weidman. I also saw his wife make a post on Instagram and just said like you know me and my my two sons were like watching this fight and we saw him get knocked out and it, you know it was just brutal. I mean I think it was it's a pretty bad idea to have your you know your young sons watching watching his dad fight when he's when the kids are six, seven, eight years old, uh, you know, especially because this fight, you know, went on at midnight. It was you know a very dangerous fight. He, he hadn't fought in a while. So that's a little bit, uh, you know, I guess a little questionable parenting, but just the fight yeah, game, the yeah. fight game's raw, man. I think that's part of the, part of the curse of having a good chin like he has, because he's not one of those guys where he just goes stiff, and it's and it's clear that he's going to lose the fight, especially with them also having a wrestling background. I think that's part of the why if he's holding on to his leg, they're going to kind of give him some more time. But I don't know. I don't. I don't think saying that that they kind of the refs lose sensitivity to it. There's like certain. There's almost criteria you know, that they need to operate by in terms of, you know, when they're going to stop and when they're not. So they need to kind of ad- adhere to their code. So, but I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, I don't, I don't think it was too late per se because, you know, but that's really, I mean, that's on Sosa because he wasn't willing to go ahead and inflict that damage. You know, I do like him as a fighter. I think, I think that sort of behavior where you're not going to, you know, damage your opponent considerably just to get that win. I, th- I think that's good, but, at, you know, at the same time, it is a very high stakes sport. People know what they're getting into, and at the same time, you know, your livelihood depends on winning. So, you know, if, if you feel like you got to do what you got to do to end the fight, then, you know, I definitely understand. But I think the way it worked out was, you know, was appropriate. There's a lot of questionable stoppages out there when, when a guy, like, turtles up and has his hands on, like, both sides of his head and he's the guys you know maybe hitting him in the back of the head or hitting him on like the hands or something you know he's not really in you know intelligently defending himself he's you know turtling up I, I, I don't know though I mean I guess he is a little bit he's kind of protecting himself from damage and then some guys just throw a couple shots on the gloves or the forearms and then the ref waves it off I can't stand stoppages like those I, I think you know but uh, this one you know Rodman got dropped and he wasn't looking to recover his guard he wasn't looking to go for a single leg he was looking at the ceiling with his head spinning um, and uh, Jacare just really didn't, you know, good guy, didn't really want to hit him anymore. He pleaded with the ref, and then the ref said, keep going, and then he hit him with two more shots, and then that was it. So, uh, you know, questionable stoppage, but just an incredible, incredible fight. Again, Jacare coming through for me big. Somehow he was an underdog. Uh, you know, he was a pretty big live underdog in this one. Uh, I was on Jacare decision. I would That would have been a better win, but I don't think he would have won a decision, so I was pretty grateful that he got this done inside the distance, all things considered. And uh, in the main event, we had the heavyweight title fight. Daniel Cormier defeat Derek Lewis by sum- submission by- via rear naked choke in the second round. Uh, this fight, you know, went pretty uh, pretty uh, like we all thought it would. I mean, I thought that DC would, would wrestle. I don't think that he was, you know, willing to trade punches with Lewis. He's not going to 
risk coming in on short notice and losing all of his opportunities. You know, he has a chance to fight Lesnar or Jones or whoever, uh, rematch Stipe. I don't think he would risk all that, you know, for, you know, to provide a, a stand and bang fight with the, for the fans, like with Derek Lewis. So I knew he was going to wrestle. I knew that he was going to thrive in the wrestling. Uh, allegedly there was a, an injury going on with Daniel Cormier the night of the fight. Apparently he sneezed the day of the fight and, and tweaked his back. You know, I, I think that, who, who knows, you know, who knows, the, I guess it's, he was not making it up because there's no reason to say that. But there was some pretty late line movement in this one for, uh, towards uh, Derek Lewis. So maybe some people in Vegas knew about this and knew about uh, DC's sneeze and decided to bet on Lewis. But um, those guys are chumps because they lost. Um, so what would you think about this one? One of the dumbest matchups for a main event I've ever seen. It was basically a can crush. For Daniel Cormier, I I couldn't believe this was even an event coming up to it. I think Derek Lewis talks about his balls and he gets really popular, and then this is like this is exactly the sort of populist fight that you know people are going to pay for, especially for casual fans. So I think that in general the sport is now that they have such a mass market where they can appeal to casual fans, they're going to you know obviously they're going to take these fights when they can get them. Just then they're going to try and do the whole WWE thing and have Brock Lesnar in like they were supposed to for this one. But then, of course, the State Athletic Commission didn't allow him to make an appearance. But um, I definitely think that this was just Derek Lewis's popularity getting ahead of his professional efficacy. For sure. Uh, I mean, they, they just, they rushed it. You know, I think that you can make an argument for Lewis winning or getting a title shot. He was, you know, 9-1 and one in his past 10 or something like that. Uh, I, but, I mean, they, they rushed this. They needed a main event. They, they they reduced his medical suspension. They knew he took all those punches. We talked about it last week. It was a terrible decision on the USB, UFC's behalf, I believe. It, it was just so desperate. Um, and, you know, it showed because there was just a huge mismatch in there, like you said. So uh, yeah, I feel for Derek Lewis, man. He he worked his ass off for the past couple of years getting that great record, and he gets his title shot, and, you know, he doesn't, doesn't really deliver. He's got to tone up and wrestle more. That's what he's got to do. Some, someone asked him, you know, if you think you would have had more time to prepare, and he said... Uh, no, I don't think I would have done any better. I think I was ready as I'd ever be. I was in good shape, so that's a little disappointing. Um, you know, it's. I mean, he was mentally there. He was mentally ready. Like I said, he was pretty confident. He thought he, you know, his cardio was good. He he said he was gonna try to drag uh, DC into the later rounds and then try to unleash some bombs in the third or fourth, but didn't get to do that. So I feel for Derek Lewis in this one. He got kind of got the short end of the stick, but. I'm sure he'll be back. Honestly, I, now that uh, now that uh, DC might 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 wait for that Brock Lesnar fight potentially, I think that Stipe Miocic versus uh, um, Stipe Miocic versus Derek Lewis might be the fight to make because I imagine that uh, Curtis Blades will uh, will make his way through uh, Francis Ngannou and then Curtis Blades will 100% deserve a title shot. So, uh, hopefully that that's the that's the course of action. But. Uh, I've heard some rumors saying that, that uh, Brock Lesnar isn't isn't uh, coming to the UFC. They said that he was renewed his WWE contract. I don't know if you heard about this. Um, Roman Roman Reigns, uh, the WWE superstar, apparently 
Uh, he revealed that he was dealing with leukemia, and he's one of the biggest superstars in the WWE. And apparently, uh, I think they've been having uh, Reigns and Lesnar have been having a feud over the past like couple years. So the plan was, I think, for Lesnar to drop the world title to Roman Reigns sometime in the next, uh, you know, few weeks or months. But they had to scrap those plans because of uh, Roman Reigns' leukemia. So I think that Vince McMahon might have even made a better offer towards uh, Brock Lesnar for the time being, and you know Brock might stay but Brock he's a smart dude he's a he's a you know he's a real piece of work but he's smart every time he wants more money from Vince he'll you know go go give Dana a visit and then all of a sudden Vince you know jacks his price tag up or, or vice versa he's not happy with the WWE oh I'll go fight in the UFC one time and I'll come back and make even more money so the dude's you know a, a genius but he, uh, you know, not really the best for the fans because he, you know, comes in there acting like he's in a fight, but never ends up happening. So, uh, right. so we'll, with that being said, we will move on from UFC 230. It was, you know, like we said a card plagued by injuries, but uh, I think it turned out pretty well. There were some good fights, some uh, some good performances. I think a lot of guys had, you know, Cannonier and uh, Adesanya had great uh, great breakout performances on the main card. And uh, I'd like to see what the pay-per-view numbers did, see if that that, de- that uh, My Balls Was Hot had any effect on the pay-per-view. And maybe we'll get like two or 300,000. Um, but with that being said, we are going to move on to the, main, or to the uh, UFC event going down in Denver, Colorado this Saturday night. It is the U- official UFC 25th anniversary event. The UFC one was in you know Colorado I think in November somewhere around November tenth uh, around this time uh, you know twenty five years ago so a uh, huge event for the UFC uh, unfor- you know they're packing a little bit of a light card but after some uh, some analysis on this one I think we're gonna have some good matchups so I will be previewing the prelims of Saturday night's card solo while Nick will come back with me to preview the main card. Uh, there are a ton of debuting UFC fighters and fighters who you know haven't fought in the UFC yet and I don't really uh, hold Nick too responsible for you know taping all of the fighters like I do. Um, you know not everybody has the time or the effort to do that and I totally understand that because some of these some of these fights were a little brutal to watch. I, I believe I taped uh, in between 25 and 35 fights. For the card this weekend and uh, you know I knew most of the main card fighters so I was that's probably about 30 30 fights for the you know the prelims mostly so I definitely put in the research for this one I think I have a pretty good idea on a lot of these matchups so I'm gonna be sharing that with you um, this is the second time I've had to record this prelim uh, preview I, I did the whole eight fights or something like that and lost the audio file so I might lack a little bit of charisma uh, charisma in this one um, due to the fact that I'm kind of reiterating myself so in the prelims uh, kicking off the prelims we have a flyweight matchup between Mark De La Rosa who is 10 and 1 and Joby Sanchez who is 11 and 3 now looking over at the betting lines for this one we had mark de la rosa open up at minus 185 joby sanchez at plus 145 mark de la rosa has now become a bigger favorite at minus 245 to joby sanchez at plus 205 mark de la rosa is a very good grappler he's got decent takedowns good wrestling and uh, really great submissions 
Uh, he doesn't really show much on the feet so far. We haven't really seen him uh, on the feet in the UFC too much. And I, was, I wasn't really watching his regional fights, and so uh, I didn't really get a, a good feel of his striking in this one. But I know that grappling is his specialty. Uh, also watching Joby Sanchez, he doesn't really have a, you know, a specialty. He is very inconsistent. Sometimes he lands, you know, good punches. Sometimes he's very timid on the feet. Sometimes he gets taken down easily. Sometimes he sprawls well. Sometimes he defends submissions. Sometimes he gets submitted easily. So, um, it's very inconsistent, very hard to get a, a, a good feel on Joby Sanchez. He lost his last fight to Roberto Sanchez via rear naked choke. Uh, and he is all uh, I believe he, he uh, won uh, picked up a, a few wins on the Dana White's Tuesday night contender series before then earning his spot in the UFC but ran into uh, a tough fight in his first comp in his first fight and uh, Mark De La Rosa is coming off a rear naked choke win over uh, Elias Garcia so uh, I, I think that the this fight will end up on the floor. Uh, Joby Sanchez's takedown defense is not very good. And I think that De La Rosa will win the fight via submission uh, somewhere in, I want to say, the first or second round. Moving on to the next fight, also in the flyweight division, we have Eric Shelton, who is 11-5, taking on Joseph Morales, who is 9-1. The betting odds for this one, we have... Uh, Eric Shelton opening up as the minus 140 favorite, Joseph Morales at the plus 100 underdog. Eric Shelton now is currently minus 120, and Joseph Morales is still plus 100. So two-way action coming on this fight. A lot of the, the lines bouncing all over the place. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's, it is going to be a very close fight. I think it probably will be you know a split decision or a 29-28 for either fighter. Uh, you know, Eric Shelton is a, is a good wrestler, but I think he just lacks a little bit of physicality in there. He does, isn't, doesn't seem to be too strong or um, you know physically imposing. He doesn't really have too much power in his punches doesn't really have too much fluidity to his striking at all I would say uh, you know Joseph Morales definitely has a little bit of uh, power in his strikes he really rocked Roberto Sanchez with a, a nasty combination and then uh, was able to secure the choke in that one then he ran into a bit of a brick wall and Divas and Figueroa in his last in his last fight and uh, lost that fight but there's no shame in that loss Figueroa is one of the best uh, best feather or flyweights in the world so for this one, I think that, uh, you know, like I said, it's going to be a close type of fight. And I think that Joseph Morales will have good enough ground game to negate Eric Shelton's takedowns. And I think that Morales will have some success on the feet in this one. So I'm gonna, my pick is going to be uh, Joseph Morales to get this one done. But a quick note about the UFC's flyweight division. There is a huge uh, looming rain cloud over these two fights this weekend because there are some strong rumors and speculation that the UFC's flyweight division is currently being dissolved. A few fighters have been released in in, in the past 24 hours. Uh, Shorty, Jose Shorty Torres, who was uh, one and one in the UFC, uh, lost his last fight. He was cut, and uh, a fighter who was uh, two and two in the UFC, Jared Brooks, who won his last fight, was also cut. So it seems very evident the UFC division is closing down. There's also been rumors of uh, Demetrius, or excuse me, um, Henry Cejudo taking on TJ Dillashaw in the main event of UFC 233, reported by Globo earlier today. So uh, it seems that the flyweight champion is moving up, and they're using that opportunity as 
to uh, shut down the entire flyweight division, which is just a, a a terrible, terrible decision. It's a bad day, you know, when it gets officially announced, it'll be a bad day for MMA because the, the flyweight division has provided some of the best fights, the most technical, exciting fights in the UFC over the past five years, and it would just be a fucking moronic move to, to let this division go. So that's my opinion on that, and uh, it's a damn shame that we'll uh, have this that, that lingering over these two flyweight contests this weekend so uh, moving on to the lightweight division we have Davi Hamos who is 8-2 taking on John Gunther who is 7-0 the betting line for this one opened up Davi Hamos at minus 445 to John Gunther at plus 315 Javi Ramos has been bet down to a minus 1000 favorite while John Gunther has shot up to plus 650 uh, I talk a lot of shit on uh, the juice era in this podcast and about how juice these lines get so unjustly, but this is an example when the line is just for Dami Hamos. Davi Hamos is a world champion Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, you know, there's a difference between being a black belt and being a world champion jiu-jitsu black belt. You can get your black belt and, you know, from going to jiu-jitsu every, you know, every three days or on a four to five time week uh, schedule, you can get that in eight, 10, 12 years. Uh, you know, any guy who's, you know, on a, not very athletic or anything can do it as long as they keep coming and they keep, uh, you know, they're dedicated to getting better. The difference between that and a world champion black belt is the world champion black belt probably gets his black belt in a shorter amount of time and then starts traveling the entire world competing against other black belts, beating other black belts, and just and getting their level to a whole different game. I've seen this play out in front of my eyes very recently. I saw a local black belt take on a world champion black belt in a jiu-jitsu competition, and the, the world champion made the black belt look like he wasn't a black belt. He made him dominate him like it was a, you know, a black belt on purple belt or something like that. So... Well, John, Davi Hamas is going to absolutely maul John Gunther on the ground of this one. John Gunther has got some decent wrestling, decent takedown, but his MMA game is very, very raw. Somehow he picked up a win in the uh, in the UFC in his uh, in his finale. I believe uh, was Alan Zuniga was that that's who the win was over. So that you know very sloppy, uh, untechnical fight in that one. I think Davi Hamas won't have too much trouble getting this one to the ground. Uh, and uh, choking out John Gunther, or any way that he pleases, tapping him out. Next fight we have in the UFC's lightweight division, Julian Arosa, who is 22-5, taking on Devontae Smith, who is 8-1. Looking over at five dimes, we have uh, Devontae Smith opening up at minus 120. Julian Arosa also at opening minus 120. A pick fight for this one. Devontae Smith has since been bet down to a minus 235 favorite. Julian Arosa up to a plus 195 underdog. I'm going to agree with the line movement in this one as well. Devontae Smith should be the one to win this fight. He's got some, you know, pretty pretty questionable takedown defense. He actually has a loss to John Gunther, who I was just talking shit on for being unpolished and, un, you know, a very raw fighter. Uh, Devontae Smith did lose to him in the beginning of 2017. However, he has looked, you know, much improved since then. I'm sure he's working on his takedown defense and his striking is looking very sharp. Julian Arosa, you know, striking is also, you know, it's it's, it's okay. It's a little sloppy, I would say. Not nothing too uh, special. Doesn't really have much of a ground game, does Arosa? So I think this one will be contested on the feet, and I'm going to give the clear edge to Devontae Smith to get the win in this one. Next fight, also in the lightweight division we have 
Benil Dariush, who is 14-4-1, taking on Thiago Moises, who is 11-2. We have Benil Dariush opening up as a minus 190 favorite to Thiago Moises at plus 150. Uh, the line has since been bet down in Thiago Moises' favor. Benil Dariush is down to minus 145, and Thiago Moises is up to plus 125. Now, uh, the line movement is coming in with Thiago Moises on this one. I would, again, have to agree with it. I think that uh, Benil Dariush has suffered some bad losses. He was brutally, brutally knocked out by Edson Barbosa in 2015, fought a hard-fought draw with Evan Dunham. Uh, you know, that fight went to scorecards and it was declared a draw. And then again, came back against Alex Hernandez and suffered another brutal, brutal knockout. Now... Thiago Moises isn't exactly a power striker by any means. He uh, he's a, a world champion jiu-jitsu black belt again, just like Davi Hamos. So he's got that great ground game. I think uh, Benil Dariush is an example, another black belt, but it's just he's not going to be on the same level as Thiago Moises' jiu-jitsu. So I think that uh, if Moises wants, will probably want to take this one to the ground and uh, maybe see how that plays out for him there. Uh, I think Thiago Moises' striking is also not too bad either, and uh, improving fight by fight. While Benil Dariush is striking has never really been his strong suit so i think that thiago moises just has a little bit uh, more going for him and the momentum is definitely on his side and i'm going to side with the plus 125 underdog in this one in the next fight in the 145 pound featherweight division we have chas skelly who is 17 and 3 taking on bobby moffitt who is 13 and 3 the betting line for this one opened up at Bobby Moffitt as a plus 175 underdog to Chas Kelly as a minus 245 favorite. Some massive line movement on this one, shifting Bobby Moffitt to a minus 115 favorite to Chas Kelly at minus 105. So a lot of money coming in on Bobby Moffitt in this one. Uh, I think I, I would agree with that. I think that opening line was set a bit uh, too much in favor of Chas Kelly. Both of these gentlemen are excellent wrestlers. Um, I think that, that their wrestling might even negate it out a little bit um you know i think that uh bobby moffat has the better uh you know i, I would i would say the more tenacious wrestling he chases after the takedown more uh chaskelly will just kind of i believe uses his wrestling more defensively uh chaskelly has been you know trying to get his striking more uh polished uh, only problem is he hasn't fought in a long time hasn't fought since may of 2017 where he lost to darren elkins he gassed pretty bad in that fight and that was uh, eventually you know he also suffered some problems with jason knight's jiu-jitsu his uh it was his wrestling game was a little bit uh, negated by jason knight throwing up constant submissions from the rubber guard so uh i don't think that we'll have to be worried about uh, bobby Moffat throwing up submissions necessarily although he is a, he is a pretty good submission fighter he does have a lot he does have a lot of good submissions i'll give it to him but um i i think that that the wrestling will will cancel their ground games will just cancel out for the most part um you know i, I could see bobby moffett maybe snatching up a dars choke he really likes dars chokes and arm triangles uh he's got four dars chokes on his record along with a few arm triangles too so he uh is i i would say that he is a bit of a sub threat uh you know skelly could be caught by you know coming in for a shot or something like that if he chooses to engage this feet on uh engage this fight on the floor but i think chas skelly will have the the clear striking advantage in this one and if his uh striking was improving at the same rate as it was in the beginning of his last fight i think the chas skelly will have success on the feet in this one so it's going to be a really close fight I think it's going to go to the decision, and it's going to be maybe split 29-28, but I think I would have to f 
go with the more proven and uh, the better well-rounded fighter in Chas Skelly in this one. And the last fight on the prelims, we have Amanda Cooper, who is 3-4, taking on Ashley Yoder, who is 5-4. Then now the betting line opened up for this one. Amanda Cooper at minus 165 to Ashley Yoder at plus 125. The line has since flipped. Ashley Yoder is now a favorite at minus 150. Amanda Cooper is plus 130. Man, the odds maker must have been smoking some good shit on this one. I have no idea. How the fuck this guy made uh, Amanda Cooper the the favorite in this one? That's a, that's really laughable. I must not have read it right the first time I did the podcast because I I, I did not notice that the first time. Uh, Amanda Cooper is just she's not a good fighter. Uh, she's you know fought you know I'll, I'll give her this she's fought absolutely killer competition in the UFC so far. Tatiana Suarez, Cynthia Calvillo, Mackenzie Dern. And uh, she's also fought Aspen Ladd. You know, she's she's got she's been thrown to the wolves. Um, you know, she lost all those fights, uh, most of them by submission, all four by submission. She's got a really weak ground game, but good thing for her, she's not really fighting much of a submission artist. And Yoder herself, I think Yoder is more of a striker. Uh, she's you know pretty polished on the feet. Al- Ashley Yoder also fought. Um, Mackenzie Dern and looked very good in that fight. Ashley Yoder does have a few wins by armbar, actually four wins by armbar. So maybe I was, you know, underrating her submission game a little bit. We could see Yoder pull off a submission in this one, you know, knowing that that's uh, Cooper's weakness. I think this one will be contested on the feet, though. I think Yoder is pretty comfortable on the feet, and she will be, uh, you know, the more polished and the more uh, fluid striker in there. And I think that she'll probably win a, a decision in this one. Uh, I imagine that she'll probably give up a round, and it'll be 29-28 in favor for Yoder in this one. So. Um, that is going to be all for the prelims in this one. Um, we're going to be transitioning to the main card next, uh, getting back with Nick. And just one more note that uh, it has been announced that Benil Daryush and Thiago Moises will be promoted to the main card. So I mentioned that Ray Borg and Joseph Benavidez, have, uh, their fight has been canceled in a few minutes. And uh, I speculated on which fight which would uh, replace them on the, pre- on the main card. And that answer is Daryush versus Moises. So that's going to be all for the prelims of this one. And uh, I'm getting back with Nick to talk about the main card of this UFC Denver card. Talking about the main card on this UFC Denver card, we are kicking things off with Luis Pena taking on Mike Trezano. Luis Pena is 5-0. and uh, Mike Trezano is 7-0. and And over on the uh, sportsbookreview.com, checking the opening odds for this one, we have... Uh, Luis Pena opening minus 370 and Mike Trezano opening plus 310. Looking over at five dimes, we have Luis Pena minus 270, Mike Trezano plus 230. So uh, most of the money seems to be coming in on Michael Trezano in this one. I think that's that's accurate. I think this opening line was set a bit too high. I think that Luis Pena should be the favorite. He should win this fight. But Mike Trezano is not a bad fighter. He has a very little experience in the UFC so far, only one win over Joe Giannetti in the Ultimate Fighter finale. Both these gentlemen were Ultimate Fighter veterans coming off of uh, 20, uh, t- season 27 of the Ultimate Fighter. 
So uh, I think that, uh, like I said, Luis Pena should get this one done. He's got some great straight punches. Uh, I think his wrestling, his takedown defense is not is not the best. You know, he was taken down in his uh, first UFC fight, but he recovered pretty well uh, and uh, was able to get the knockout once the fight went back to the feet. But I believe Mike Trezano is going to be trying to wrestle on this one. I think he'll be very outmatched on the feet. And I think that Luis Pena has enough wrestling skills and grappling skills to negate Mike Trezano's grappling skills, and he'll eventually get this one back to the feet and either win a comfortable decision or he might get the knockout on Trezano. So uh, what are you thinking about this one, Nick? I'm not super familiar with Trezano, but I do like Pena. So I I think I'd agree with that analysis for the most part. Yeah, Violent Bob Ross is this dude's nickname. He, he I, I don't, I, I don't think he looks like Bob Ross. Do you? It's, it's not that close. Yeah, but, but it's something. It's a cool nickname, I guess. To to. Yeah, uh, I should mention that one of these ca- fights on the main card has been canceled. Ray Borg versus Joseph Benavidez has been canceled. So we might be dealing with a, a five-fight main card, or they might bump, bump one of the prelim fights up to the main card. But uh, as we're recording this right now, I believe that f- that sixth spot on the main card is empty right now. But the next fight we have in the women's strawweight division, we have Macy Barber, who is 5-0, taking on Hannah Cyphers, who is 8-2. Looking at the betting odds for this one, we have Macy Barber opening as a minus 460 favorite, Hannah Cyphers at plus 365. Right now, Macy Barber is a minus 430 favorite, while Heinz Cyphers is plus 345. So a little bit of action coming in on Cyphers' way. I think the opening line was pretty accurate for Macy Barber. Uh, Macy Barber is, she's 20 years old, uh, and she's, uh, you know, a very well-rounded mixed martial arts already. She's got great striking, you know, super powerful kicks. Uh, and she's also got, you know, a good understanding of grappling, a good understanding of, uh, you know, the fence, how to use the fence. And, uh, you, you know, I think that Macy Barber was, has the potential to be a huge star in the UFC. Like I said, only 20 years of age. It, very, very impressive that she's uh, this well-rounded at that, this early of an age. And she, she's big. She's a huge 115-pound uh, girl. Uh, Hannah Cyphers is, is very small. Uh, you, know, she, you know, she looks like the typical straw weight in there. Uh, Hannah Cyphers has some decent, you know, decent striking, okay boxing, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think that she's going to be uh, physical enough or powerful enough to stand with uh, Macy Barber in this one. I think Barbara could take this fight whatever she wants. Uh, she might, you know, take her down to the ground and uh, ground and pound her like she did her last opponent, or she might st- uh, keep it on the feet and try to get a knockout. So, uh, unfortunately, I don't think Hannah Cyphers has a, uh, much of a chance in this one. Um, so, uh, Nick, are you familiar with either of these two ladies? Yeah, I'm familiar with Macy Barber and Hannah Cyphers I've seen a little bit of, but I, I think I'd agree with that. I don't think Cyphers has much of a chance. Yeah, Cyphers is uh, making her UFC debut, and she also has, a, 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 I believe, a bit of social anxiety. She's talked, about, she you know has been like shy on the mic uh, after her post-fight victories, and um, you know she talked about, I think, you know, just having some fright of you know being in that cage and everything. So you know, not not <laughs> gonna play in her favor coming in here against uh, this uh, you know talented prospect and Macy Barber on the this uh, her first UFC card. So I wish her the best of luck, but. I think she's in for a pretty rough night. Yeah, excited to see what the rest of Barbara's career has, especially being so young. I mean, with the length of careers in the sport, starting that young, 
that's a big benefit for sure i mean you don't you, we've seen a few people in the ufc enter that eight that young uh you know sage north cut and you know he's had some pretty pretty uh you know not tremendous success in the fight game but he's had uh, you know massive popularity and uh, of course john jones coming into the ufc very very young age too i think he was around 20 or 21 when he came in so uh, the the future is bright for Macy Barber. Uh, like we said, Joseph Benavidez versus Ray Borg, that fight was canceled. Damn shame. That would have been a great, great matchup. I, I would have favored Ray Borg in that one to win a, a wrestling decision. Joseph Benavidez is, you know, a, a declining fighter, and he he showed that against Sergio Pettis. He was rocked a few times in that fight, but, you know, recovered well. He's not totally shot yet, so I think this fight would have been a close competitive fight, but Borg probably would have won it on the scorecards. Why did this one get canceled? Uh, Ray Borg did not pass his medical uh, oh. his his uh, medical test in the beginning of the good. week. Yeah, I saw I saw a statistic um, from Ray Borg. He I think he's pulled out of I believe six UFC fights. Uh, you know this dude is just having sh- absolutely terrible luck. He's missed weight a few times. He's had to pull out from. Uh, sickness from injury uh you know he had to pull out from his fight because conor mcgregor threw a dolly through a window and smashed glass in his eyes and of course uh as we all know his uh he, he's had a newborn son that was born this year that has is i believe uh, terminally ill or has some major medical issue and is you know constantly undergoing some pretty serious surgery so that's uh, a damn shame that ray borg uh you know has had this fight scrapped uh, I, I really hope it was a legitimate reason that they were pulling him from the fight and it's not some trivial, you know, uh, you don't have, you know, your X amount percent over your body weight or something like that. So uh, moving on, we have in the women's bantamweight division, Ra- Raquel Pennington, who is 9-6, and six, is taking on J- Jermaine Durandame, who is 7-3. and three. And in the opening lines for this one, we had Jermaine Dr- Durandame open up at minus 175, while Raquel Pennington is plus 155, while Jermaine Durandame is currently minus 165, Raquel Pennington at plus 145. So um, a two-way action coming in on this fight. Uh, it is a pretty close matchup. Uh, both of these women uh, coming off of title fights in their last fight. Raquel Pennington losing her title fight against Amanda Nunes back in May. She took a massive, massive amount of damage in that fight. I think she, she might have gotten her nose broken, and, uh, you know, she asked to to uh, quit after the fourth round, and her coaches wouldn't let her and sent her out to the fifth to get finished. So, you know, she, you know, I really question the, the, the health of uh, Raquel Pennington coming back into this one. Uh, Jermaine DeBrandeme last fought in February of 2017 against Holly Holm. She is a, UFC, a former UFC champion. It sounds almost unreal to say that, but she did win the inaugural UFC featherweight uh, women's featherweight championship and then vacated it shortly after because uh, she didn't want to fight Chris Cyborg. Um, there's there's no way there's no way, other way around it. She did not want to fight her. She went up, got that title. She's like, oh yeah, I feel healthy. I feel healthy. And then Joe's like, well, uh, you. So the next fight should be Cyborg, right? She goes, uh, matter of fact, my thumb really hurts. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to make that fight. And she uh, relinquished the belt and basically just gave it away to Cyborg. So I don't blame her. Yeah, I mean, it's a smart, smart move. But it's it's incredible that uh, you know Duranime is uh, you know I think I believe a, a Muay Thai or kickboxing champion. Not really sure which one, but you know I'm sure she had like 50, 60, 70 fights in, in kickboxing or Muay Thai, and then ten martial arts fights to, or mixed martial arts fights to go along with it. And she at that point is still scared of Cyborg. So, just goes to show you how terrifying Cyborg is. 
Um, and then, uh, so in this matchup, though, I, I got a favorite Duraname. Uh, she she has really good takedown defense. She stuffed seven of Holly Holmes, seven of seven of Holly Holmes takedowns. Most of them were against the fence, too. You know, uh, it was a, mostly a striking bout, but when Duraname was winning the striking with Holly Holm, Holly Holm tried to change levels and make it a wrestling match, and uh, she was not successful. Jermaine uh, has, you know, decent takedown defense. Also, like I said, you know, great striking. She, you know, was outstriking Holly Holly Holm, and uh, so I, I really think that uh, this is going to be an easy fight for Durana May. I think that she will butcher um, uh, Raquel on the feet, similar to Amanda, how Amanda Nunes did, and if uh, Raquel shoots, then I don't think she's going to have much success, but if she does get this fight to the floor, it will be interesting, because uh, Pennington is a pretty good uh, wrestler and grappler, and uh, she'll, she will clearly have the edge in the grappling against Durana May. I think it depends what Pennington learned from the Nunes fight. There's definitely... You know, levels here. With Raquel being a top-level athlete, of course, um, you know, we know that she's already extremely skilled, but going against somebody like Nunez, if she were to learn from that and pick things up from it, then I think she could come back really strong for this one. Yeah, I'd like to think that, but, you know... uh a huge aspect of, of uh, you know a person growing camp or fight to fight is their their coaches and their camp and you know and we just saw in that last fight that her coaches do not have the Raquel's you know uh, you know health at stake in in their mind you know obviously they you know they really wanted her to win that fight and uh, I mean. Uh, I she was I think down four rounds to none at that point. So I mean it was she would have needed a, a fucking yeah. miracle to win that one. And her I, coaches just didn't really care. They they said oh no 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 no. She was like I'm done I'm done. And they said no 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 no. That's what he said. No 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 no. Uh, you can do this. you can do this. Just one more round. Go ahead. It yeah, wasn't her nose like falling off. Oh yeah. That she, was that she was like yeah. butchered. She, I I see that that's I think is just really disgusting behavior by the coaches. It's it's selfish for them to you know try and push her out there to. Because I, th- I think ultimately that's the point, right? I mean, they want to have a fighter like this that's top level, and they want to, you know, be able to say that that's who they have in their stable. But I think that's that's pretty awful behavior. That's part of the kind of the problem with MMA in general is like, you know, especially with late stoppages or whatever, people don't tap. So I think for her, you know, if if, if she's giving up, you know, let her do that. I, you know, it's you know it's hard to quit and things like this. You know, the especially with the ego, so. If for her to be in that position, she must have been pretty desperate. So I, they should absolutely let her do it. Yeah, there was a lot of conversation after this fight and saying that, you know, some coaches know their fighters and they have to push them at some points and they have to, you know, give them that extra that extra nudge to, to get into gear. But, you know, that that was not the case in this one. She had 20 minutes to get into gear. She wasn't going to have a pep talk that got her in, uh, you know, to in, in, in shape to win that fight in the fifth round. So... Like you said, yeah, pretty pretty scary uh, cornering from from her corner. Uh, I believe after the fight, she said she she said she didn't blame them. She said that uh, you know her coaches know her and she doesn't hold any ill will against them. And who knows though, man. Um, so uh, you know, if Raquel, like you said, if Raquel made the necessary improvements, then I think this, this could be uh, you know a close fight. But I'm going to favor Jermaine to get the win uh, via decision in this one. Moving on to the co-main event, we have Donald Cowboy Cerrone, who is 33 and 11, taking on Platinum Mike Perry, who is 12 and 3. The betting lines opened in this one. Mike Perry opened up minus 210 to Donald Cerrone at plus 175. Right now, Mike Perry is at minus 230, while Cerrone is up to plus 190. So, uh, despite it seems like more action coming in on. Donald Cerrone, more wagers coming in on Donald Cerrone. His betting line still went up, so there must be you know a few people out there laying some pretty serious chalk 
on Mike Perry trusting him at a two to one favorite. Uh, I certainly do not trust him as a two to one favorite. Uh, I mean, I, we saw Mike Perry probably make his his best improvements fight to fight in his last fight against Paul Felder. He uh, took that. I wasn't. It wasn't on short notice. Paul Felder took that on short notice. But uh, Mike Perry, you know, did deal with a little bit of an opponent change. He was going from fighting a brawler in Yancey Medeiros to fighting, you know, a technical striker in um, Paul Felder, and he made the necessary adjustments and he won that fight. You know, pretty impressively. It was. Uh, it was a. You know, a fairly close decision. Uh, you know, it was a competitive fight. He wasn't blowing uh, Felder out, but he was certainly winning. And he showed, you know, be- better composure. You know, better cardio. Better, just be- everything was better. His technique. Um, so that seems like that move to Jackson Winklejohn is uh, was working out for him very well. And we all know with this uh, this controversy over Jackson Wink, uh, Donald Cerrone was has left that camp. He doesn't, you know, he might still train with uh, Greg Jackson or some some people, uh, you know, from the camp from time to time. But he really seemed to have some issues with uh, Mike Winklejohn. He seemed to have some issues with uh, the wrestling coach at the, the gym who was, you know, allegedly. Uh, allegedly gave like steroids to his high school wrestling team or something like that and he was just had a problem with the atmosphere of the gym he was saying that you know they we have all these pro fighters and the pro fighters are in the same classes as you know the the joe schmoes and everything like that and you know pretty much anybody who who comes in and you know you know does muay thai or boxing for a few months or comes in and says they have x amount of experience and they want to spar can be in there sparring with holly holm or be in there spar- sparring with michelle watterson so serenity decided to get out of that environment and he's been you know training sort of on his own he's training at the the, the bmf ranch with uh, joe Schilling, mickey gall and i imagine he has some some of his own coaches you know coming out there as well but uh that's a little bit of a, a little bit of a question mark in this one. We have one guy leaving his camp and going out on his own, and then one guy joining a camp and uh, you know getting a lot better. So uh, you know, in that aspect, I think that Mike Perry is you know has a little bit of uh, is is favored, but. I don't know, man. Just something about the matchup in this one. I think that Donald Cerrone will do well. Uh, what, what are you thinking about this one? Um, I hate Cerrone from an image standpoint, but I love him as a fighter. He's he's the fight night king, though. That's this that's where he he just thrives. So um, I think he'll do well. I I definitely have faith in him for this one. Yeah, I mean, I think the Cerrone tends to to wilt under. Uh, Technicians, you know, um, Jorge Masvidal, uh, uh, you know, Robbie Law is a bit of a brawler, but I think that that was a very, very, very close fight. I think that, you know, you could even make a case for Donald Cerrone winning that fight. Um, you know, he lost to uh, Rafael dos Anjos, and then he lost to Darren Till. So just really technical strikers. All of his losses are coming to, but. We've seen him. Uh, oh, and uh, most recently, Leon Edwards um, outstruck him to a five-round decision. But in that fight, we saw you know we saw Don Cerrone be. He was there. He was you know competitive. He won some of the later rounds. He showed good cardio. He won. He won rounds three or four and five on uh, I believe almost all the judges' scorecards. So there's no doubt that he still has good cardio. He's still tough as nails, and uh, you know I don't. I think that uh, I think that he will uh, do well in this one. I think it it will go to a decision. I think I have to favor Donald Cerrone. I think I already sprinkled a few dollars on his money line, and uh, it might be worth it to go. Uh, you know, I think it would it would be it would be safe to stay away from the the decision line on this one. I think that you know I think Cerrone has a chance of finishing him. You know, we saw him finish Yancey Medeiros earlier this year. He had some really powerful punches in that fight, and uh, you know it showed that he still has that knockout power. So I'm gonna pick Cerrone to get this the win in this one. 
And in the main event of the evening, oh, it was scheduled to be Chan Sung Jung and the Korean Zombie versus Frank Yeager. Unfortunately, I believe a week or two ago, Frank Yeager pulled out with an injury, and uh, Yair Rodriguez hopped in in this one. So we have Chan Sung Jung, the Korean Zombie, taking or who is 14 and 4, taking on Yair Rodriguez, who is 10 and 2. Uh, this fight is going to be fought at featherweight, and the betting lines we have. Uh, that wasn't the opener. I can tell you right now that that wasn't the opener. Uh, it's, I see right now that uh, Chan Sung Jung was minus 150 and Yair was plus 130. But I know for a fact that, that uh, Chan Sung Jung was a much bigger favorite. I think he was a minus 300 favorite in this one to Yair Rodriguez at plus 250. So I don't know why this website's saying that. But right now we see Chan Sung Jung at minus 140. Yair Rodriguez at plus 120. So a lot of action coming in on Yair Rodriguez's line considering it did open up at plus 250. So, uh, you know, I think that that was very wide. You know, Chan Sung Jung has one fight in five years. And, uh, you know, he did win that fight by knockout. He did you know, have a pretty good comeback in that fight, but he was—he did not look too sharp in it. He was getting tagged by Bermudez's punches. Bermudez had him rocked a, a few times, but Chen Sung Jung—he's uh, always getting in brawls. He's a super good brawler. Uh, you know, he's had some of some of the ep- most epic fights in UFC history. You know, I was watching his fight with Dustin Poirier, and just what an what an incredible brawl that was. You know, you can show that fight to any anybody on earth, and they would be excited watching that fight. So, uh, in terms of matchups, uh, what are you thinking about this one? Who do you think is going to win? This is a good matchup. I um, I think it's tough to pick, but I, I do love the Korean Zombie. I think it's a good fight. Um, we'll just have to see how he does. I think the ring rust is going to be a problem. One fight in five years is really just not a lot. So, I'm hoping he warms up quick in there and he does his thing. Yeah, I think that uh, I think Yair, though, you know, dealing with a bit of, a bit of ring rust himself. He last fight was at UFC two eleven, which was in May of two thousand seventeen. Got his ass beat by Frank Yeager in that one. Um, you know, was uh, TKO'd in that fight. Was just taken down and beaten on the ground. So I think that you know his uh, his Achilles heel has been exposed a little bit. It is the grappling wrestling. But Chan Sung Jung, not really a too, too uh, much of a wrestler. He's more of you know a submission artist. He's got great, great submissions. He uh, you know he's got twister victories, he's got Darce victories. He's uh, really, really slick with his submissions. But you know, in terms of you know getting takedowns and pressuring you and keeping you on the ground, that's not really his specialty. So uh, I think that Chan Sung Jung has a great chance at you know catching a submission in transition and you know one of these scrambles. This is going to be a, you know a lot of scrambles in this fight. But I also think that Chan Sung Jung will have a, a good amount of difficulty breaking through that reach of Yair Rodriguez. Yair is going to have a major reach advantage, height advantage. He's going to be using those long kicks, the spinning back kicks, the jumping wheel kicks, the turning side kicks. You know, he has really, really amazing kicks. So uh, I think that, that is, on the feet, it, uh, it will go Yair's way. And on the ground, I think it'll go uh, Korean Zombie's way. So, you know, I'm not, I don't have a, a lean on this one, honestly. I think that... Uh, 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 you know, I, I don't have a betting lean on this one. I, I certainly, I don't think, would touch uh, either money line at the, where it's at right now. It's just too close of a fight. But I think I will favor Chan Sung Jung to uh, get me a, a submission locked up in this one. Uh, you know, the dude's just, he's special, man. One fight in five years, but he came back in that fight and landed a, an incredible uppercut and knocked Dennis Bermudez out. So there are, you know, uh, he's just hes just a very talented fighter, and I, I, I'm going to have to trust him a little bit more than Yair. You know, Yair is great as well, but I think he's a little more one-dimensional than uh, Chan Sung Jung. 
So, uh, you know, we have a great card going down this weekend here and, uh, you know, uh, you know, looking forward to it. Like I said, uh, at first glance, it, it wasn't it wasn't too uh, appealing. There were a lot of lesser known names. But after studying all of the, the prelims on this one and, and studying the matchups, then I think that I, I know that this fight will be a lot better uh, or this fight card will be a lot better than it seems on paper. So uh, looking forward to uh, this fight card this weekend. And uh, just to end this week's uh, episode of Martian MMA, we're going to be talking about just a few of the news stories from the, the world of MMA this week. Uh, so kicking things off, we had the middleweight title fight be announced between Robert Whittaker, the champion, versus Kelvin Gastelum going down to UFC 234 in, uh, I believe it's Adelaide, uh, Australia. Uh, you know, just a great fight. We, this fight's been, uh, you know, I guess announced for a while. It just hasn't had an official date. Uh, I believe the two gentlemen are coaching the Ultimate Fighter. So uh, we've been anticipating this one for a while, and we finally have a date behind it. Uh, the co-main event for that fight, if it's any other fight besides Israel Adesanya versus Jacare Souza, the UFC is doing it wrong. There's that's the that's the is the fucking fight to make. Those are the uh, you know the number two and three middleweights in the world right now, and you I think you have to have that fight on the main uh, on the the yeah the main card. I think co-main event obviously because they're just such big names. Unless they add an, add another title fight potentially. So uh, you know, and of course, you know, we've had Robert Whitaker suffer, suffer a good amount of injuries. You know, he was pulled from his uh, fight with Luke, Luke Rockhold uh, last February, and uh, you know, we kind of uh, luckily Yoel Romero uh, saved that card. But I think that uh, having these guys, you know, in Australia, you know, having them plan to you know go down to the the, the what is it called the land down under, sure. uh, yeah, planning on making that twenty hour fight that'll be a huge huge uh, advantage for them. So, uh, you you excited for this fight? It's gonna be a good one. Um, I gotta say, I'm a big Yoel Romero fan, but Whitaker's a monster. I think he's he's gonna do really well in this match. I I don't I, I really don't see anybody beating him too soon. I think Father Time's gotta beat him first. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, who, I mean, our boy Yoel might come back for that for that trilogy. You know, you never know. Uh, uh, I yeah, mean, I don't know. He's, he's he's not big on trilogies, but I. I'd love to see it. Anytime I get to see Yoel Romero fight, it, it ends up being amazing. So, dude, Yoel is is just one of the one of the most talented UFC or MMA fighters of all time, man. Like he's just he's just a, a phenom in there. Uh, you know, he the way he the way he you know his effortly wrestles. You know, he he took down uh, he made you know all American wrestler Chris Weidman look like uh, a little a little boy in there against him. And then he doesn't even use his wrestling that much. You know, he might go for a trip out here and out here and then, but he really just is, you know, striking in there, throwing bombs. Uh, and considering, I think he only transitioned over to MMA eight eight years ago or something like that. It's it's absolutely incredible that he is, uh, you know, standing in there with some of the best strikers in the world. You know, uh, obviously he dropped Robert Ritter three times in his last fight. You know, it was a very very close fight. I, I probably would have leaned more to a, a draw in that fight rather than an, any gentleman winning. I mean, I think that that's just a clear example of a fight where both gentlemen had their moments, they had each other hurt, and that's uh, you know it's 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 kind of trivial to score round by round by point by point at that point when it's just such an even fight. I mean, I think we have to see uh, the trilogy of that fight. Uh, also in news, we have uh, Ben Askren getting his first UFC fight announced. Uh, he is first opponent of the UFC will be Robbie Lawler in 
This fight's going down. The UFC 233 in Anaheim, California. Terrible matchup for Robbie Lawler. That's awful. Yeah, it, it sucks. You know, we were, you know, Ben Askren was calling out everybody, you know, but I don't think he really called out Robbie Lawler in this one. I think that he, uh, he, he, I don't know. I don't know if he wanted to stay away from him, but, but I knew that, uh, you know, it seems like that it just that wasn't really a high profile fight. You know, Lawler is coming off a few losses, and uh, it's just going to be a, a long night for Lawler in this one. I think he gets, you know, just taken down and rest. So fucked completely. Lawler, the reason he didn't get called out is because he's just he's too far below him. He's gonna get killed. But I think that's sort of good for the UFC. They're just unveiling this new guy, and they want to make him look as good as possible. So I think he's gonna come out, crush a can, and then he's gonna move on to some real matches for him. Yeah, so. it's a cr- it's a cruel uh, cruel business. You know, they have a former champion, a former you know really great company guy like uh, Robbie Lawler is just you know is a very very well known fighter. And uh, they're just, you know, kind of feeding them to the wolves here. So unfortunate for uh, for Lawler, but I think that that'll be a good uh, good way for Askren to get his feet in the water. And uh, we also had some some pretty fucking bizarre news break this week. Floyd Mayweather showed up at Ryzen's press conference. Uh, I believe it was Sunday night in America. You know, Sunday night at 11 p.m. because you know Japan. I think Japan's like maybe 12, 14 hours ahead of us. So it must have been midday there. And we see Floyd Mayweather at a press conference with uh, kickboxing star Tenshin Nasukawa. Uh, Tenshin is a uh, Ten Shin actually is a 20 year old just phenom in, in kickboxing. I think he's like 27 and 0. He's 4 and 0 in MMA, and he's one of the, you know one of the best strikers on the planet right now. And he was announced that he's going to face Floyd Mayweather in some unknown rules. You know they don't know the rules. They don't know if kicks will be allowed. They don't know the weight. They don't know the anything. I mean, th- this guy is 122 pounds, and Floyd Mayweather fought his last fight at 154 pounds. Like, what the fuck is going on? It was a freak show from the jump. It was weird. None of us knew what the fuck was going on, but we, we kind of were like, okay. And then today, Floyd Mayweather hops back on Instagram and says, uh, it was all a lie. None of it, you know, I, I didn't agree to any of this. They blindsided me with this, this, and that, and none of it was official, and it's not happening. Deleted all of his posts from it, you know, just classic Floyd behavior. You know, he's a total flake. He pick, picks and chooses the matchups that cater to him best, and then when it doesn't cater to him, he abandons it. So what you got to do to maintain that 50-0 record. Yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta pick and choose. You know, it, it's just it's just not even it's not even like funny at this point. Like he's he's uh, oh uh, you know Amir Khan wants to fight uh, Canelo wants a rematch so and so I'll fight Andre Berto. So uh, okay, uh, well we have you know a Royal Spence we have so and so you know all these great boxers want to fight. Uh, I'll fight Conor McGregor. Uh, you know, he has the potential Pacquiao rematch. He could still fight Amir Khan. Both those guys are washed up. You would win those fights fucking easily. Uh, no, I'll fight this 122-pound kickboxer in Japan. You know, the dude just is, you know, very, very, very confusing. I, I, I kind of believe him, though. It seemed like there there had to be some fuckery on, on Ryzen's behalf for, for them to fool Mayweather into this. But who really knows? I mean, Mayweather posed in pictures with them. He did a face-off with them. He, you know, went all over Japan taking pictures with them. So there's, I mean, there's, there's no doubt there was some, you know, there was some uh, turmoil going on with these negotiations. Maybe the, the uh, Nawasaka's team was... Uh, uh, you know, intimate on getting those kicks in the fight. Hey, man, one one kick around. Joe Rogan says it all the time. He goes, just one, one leg kick. That's all it would take. 
and he he's right. So uh, you know, no surprise there from Floyd. Not a big Floyd fan. Uh, you know, he's one of the greatest athletes of all time, I think, but he's also one of the biggest bitches of all time. Yeah, and he's a woman beater, and you know, he's a piece of shit. So uh, I believe that is going to be all the news. This week for uh, Martian MMA, this is episode 40 of Martian MMA. Uh, I will be uh, coming back uh, next week to talk about, I don't even know where the UFC is next week, maybe China. Uh, could be there, could be wrong, who really knows. Uh, there's so many UFC cards back to back to back, I'm not really looking weeks ahead at the time. So uh, I want to thank my man Nick for coming on the podcast with me. We'll definitely have him back on in the future. And, uh, you know, just uh, say, say a quick peace out real quick. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yep, and uh, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning in the podcast, I will catch you guys next week. Peace. Peace.